Hey everybody, welcome back to the Finding Fulfillment Podcast by Self-Improvement. I'm your host, Blake Reichenbach. I'm not a fan of wasting time or spreading bad advice, so let's just get to it and dive into some powerful conversations with amazing people as we figure out what it looks like to build your ideal life, be a bit happier each day, and, oh, right, find fulfillment. Let's go! Hey, Jason, how's it going? Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. I'm going good today. It's a little bit grim in the UK as usual, but it's all good. You know, I was I was in the UK in 2015, and I was prepared for like the, the stereotypical grim UK weather. But I guess because I was there in the summer and almost exclusively in the Oxford area, it was so pleasant and delightful yeah it can be it can be beautiful you know you have met many periods of great weather but i think when you just it just all seems to roll into one when you've been here for a while and it's like if it's raining and it's grim that's kind of well well speaking of norms in the uk i know that pretty much everyone in the uk and in europe loves to hate on eurovision 364 days out of the year (laughs) yeah but because I really like to start episodes with a dumb question, I have to ask, did you watch Eurovision this year? I can honestly say that I have never watched Eurovision. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I was in your shoes because that same year that I was in the UK, I was also in Finland. And while I was there, I got looped into my first ever Eurovision party found out what Eurovision was, learned that everyone loves to hate on it until the night of, and then you come together and drink and harshly critique every single performance. And now I feel like I'm hooked. Yeah. Uh, and every every year I'm like the, the one American in the room that's like, did you see Eurovision? The UK got zero points and Germany got four points. It's yeah I I just know that it's like terrible singers that get together and put songs together that easily that easily not that great (laughs) (laughs) hey some of the some of them are pretty good you know I I I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Lordi from Finland heavy death metal music going into Eurovision yeah or or Verka Seduchka drag queen from Ukraine that's where I'm at. But, uh, you know, luckily, luckily, this interview is not going to be about Eurovision. So I'm not going to quiz you on like when ABBA sang Waterloo or yeah. when Celine Dion went in for Switzerland. None yeah. of that. Instead, today we're going to chat a little bit about addiction, specifically tech addiction. Yeah. And, you know, I, I put out a request looking for guests to come onto the podcast. And your, your response really stood out to me. So you've got a very, you've got a wealthy background in terms of, you know, mental health and discussing addiction and addressing addiction. Yeah. And so to get the ball rolling, I'm curious, can you just tell us a little bit about kind of your, your trajectory, how you got to where you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, sure. That's a bit of a long story, but trying to make it short, you know, I, 
I grew up in active addiction to substances, drugs and alcohol, crime and gambling and everything really. You know, my, my childhood was quite, I don't know, off the wall, let's say. You know, it was like, so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't too great. I was very clever. I went to a private school. I got a bursary and so on, you know, and, and but I just couldn't hold it together. You know, my life was kind of off the rails. I lost, I lost my dad in an accident when I was young. And, and it just sort of never, it just felt like it spiraled from there, you know, with food first and then drugs and so on, and then crime and then just getting into organized crime with drugs and so on. So that's where it all, you know, it was very messy for me. You know, my teens, that started in my early teens and, and food started before that, you know, so that's kind of where, you know, that's where it all started and got messy. And, and I stopped with substances, you know, in 1994, so it'll be 27 years clean, sober, whatever you want to call it, you know, like this year. So that's my own sort of evolution of understanding of addiction, you know, and my own personal recovery, but I also started working with people then. And over time I've um, trained in multiple modalities of change. You know, I was a psychotherapist, as a counselor in, in different schools of psychology, you know, cognitive, behavioral psychodynamic approaches to change and all the meanwhile my own process has been evolving and I've also I also had a career in IT so I had a, like a, a, te- a career in technology and a parallel career as a therapist working with addiction so it was kind of always like that for me and probably in more recent years those two careers have come together where I kind of do a lot of the technology stuff for a, an addiction uh, treatment company and have my own uh, coaching and my own addiction treatment program as well that's sort of been evolving over time along with my own understanding you know after all those multiple years in the psychological world I just came across an understanding that really gave me an insight that changed my whole life because even after I'd stopped taking drugs which was 1994 I, I guess for 20 years I I suffered with other addictions you know I suffered with relationships and gambling and food and exercise and it always felt like I was even though I was a therapist and I was working with people with addictions it always felt like truly I was never really at peace myself and until you know quite a few years ago I came across an understanding which is a spiritual psychology founded by somebody called Sydney Banks in the 1970s which was an understanding of how the human mind works and I had an insight into myself and life around me just changed kind of spontaneously in the moment and since then that that understanding has influenced all my work so everything I talk about is influenced by the work of Sydney Banks and you know it's changed my life unrecognizably over the last few years and changed my practice as I work with people with addictions and, you know, and everything really, everything's changed from that. So it's kind of like in a nutshell, you know, there's a lot of stories in there, but that's kind of the, the whole picture, you know. That's, that's so cool. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I really love it when you can see someone who has embraced like their own transformation and how that plays out through the other aspects of your life. And it sounds like that that's been, uh, you know, pretty, pretty consistently a, a common thread throughout your, your professional career. And yeah. I'm just kind of curious, like what, what motivates you from day to day within this field? Oh, it's so easy uh, of a question because it's, it's such a beautiful 
human experience to witness somebody waking up beyond their suffering. You know, it's like, I, I have a lot of compassion for people that, that are struggling, you know, and, and just to be with somebody, just to spend time with somebody and have the opportunity to, to point them to something beyond their suffering, to help to see them change, to wake up to the truth of who they are, to see the beauty in life that perhaps they've never seen. I mean, you can't buy that feeling, you know, it's not something that's available in uh, through achievement or attainment or status or weight loss or new relationships or more money in the bank or any of those things that people try to try to strive for you know that feeling of just being present in that moment with somebody is just such a beautiful experience so absolutely that you know for sure absolutely and and you mentioned the work of Sidney Banks, is that correct? Yes. I'm curious, like, what was your, your entry point into discovering his work? It's a, it's a funny story because it, it involves technology and, and, uh, and an understanding, you know, because I'd been to Tony Robbins. I'd, I'd, for many years, I'd kept searching. I'd, been, I'd trained us in all these modalities of therapy and still wasn't happy. And I ended up at Tony Robbins. So I'd doing all the Tony Robbins events, you know, walking on hot coals, doing the different things and that. And um, I got involved in this uh, WhatsApp group of people that were into personal development. And somebody had a login for a website where they posted a video and on, on, within that portal, there was a video called The Path of Effortless Change by a guy called Michael Neal. And they asked me, because I knew about technology, to, to download the video from this portal and share it with everyone so everyone could get to see it. Now, I couldn't download it. I couldn't find a way. So I thought, I really wanted to be part of this group. So I thought, I'm going to screen record it. And it was an eight-hour video. Oh, wow. Was changed. So I actually screen recorded it on my laptop next to my computer while I was working. But I kept finding myself mesmerized by the video. I wasn't looking at my computer. I was sat looking at the laptop, listening to this guy talking. And I was thinking, I'm not sure what he's saying, but there's something really that I need to know about, you know, that this guy is talking about. And you know, to cut a long story short, I ended up at Michael's house in LA, told him the story about Pirate in the video, really funny, you know, it's one of the funniest ways that anyone ever found his work. Spent <laughs> a few days with him and my life changed unrecognizably. And, and what he was sharing was the understanding of the free principles, which was founded by Sydney Banks, you know? So it's like, that's how I came across it. Who, who would have guessed that communal piracy <laughs> could have led to such a transformative process? Absolutely, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's I, like, you could say it's kind of beyond coincidence as well. I often think like that. Was that really just coincidence that it all happened that way? You know? Yeah, those, those moments where something seems so coincidental that it just can't be coincidental mm. are they're to be savored you know they're special when they happen yeah I, I i often talk about on the podcast and, and in some of the articles that i've written i often talk about in february 2020 i went to a writing retreat that was hosted at the home of one of my favorite writers mm. uh, and it was one of those moments uh, of even being able to go where it was just coincidence that couldn't just be coincidence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I hadn't anticipated on it, hadn't budgeted it, but her assistant reached out and said, hey, I know you've been interested in working with Sam. 
we're hosting this retreat. Are you interested? And I got that email at about the same time that I, I had a conversation with my manager about ways that I could use my professional development fund for my day job. And it just, it lined up so perfectly that it was like, yep, this is, this is a way that we can use that. Yeah. So as a, a quick, quick question on Sydney Banks, I'm curious, I did a quick search just in good old Google and see that, you know, Sydney has several, several books out there and there's even the entire like three principles foundation website. Mm. If someone wanted to dip their toes into the three principles or into Banks's work, I'm curious, do you have a recommended starting point or is it just kind of like dive in and, and see? Yeah, I mean, the books are great. I mean, I've got one here, for example, you know, that's one book, The Enlightened Gardener. It depends how everyone knows favorite way of consuming information. You know, it's kind of like, for me, before I found the three principles, I'd read a lot of books, but it felt difficult. But after I, I found the three principles, I started reading and buying books. And I bought perhaps in, the, in a couple of years, I read 30 or 40 different books, you know, mm. written by different people. And I loved the experience of having a book, you know, and reading it. And it's like, and I felt there was a lot of insight and a lot of transformation that went on in reading. I found with video, I found myself sidetracked, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, you know, there's a lot of calls for my attention when I'm sat at a screen, there's notifications going off everywhere, there's all sorts of things. So I have to really be, you know, turn off everything when I'm going to watch a video on a computer to make sure that it's not all sorts of things. And audio, you know, it's like, and, and for me, the best way, you know, is being around people talking about it you know being there's a lot of free webinars that go on there's a lot of videos there's a lot of conversational stuff that happens you know there's a lot of podcasts my podcast even you know misunderstandings of the mind so there's a lot of information out there I mean there wasn't when this started many years ago but now there's a lot and it's growing you know all the time Fantastic. And I'll be sure to include a link to your podcast in the show notes for this episode so that if anyone wants to, you know, tune in and have some of those conversations with you through the podcast, they yeah. can find you there pretty easily. But uh, yeah, your comment about video is really, really set me up for an easy segue into kind of the heart of the, the conversation that I wanted to have today, which yeah. is around tech use. And in particular, this area where tech use can become a form of addiction mm. and you know since this is a field where where you are the expert in this conversation i'm curious if you can kind of kick us off down this route by just giving us how you define tech addiction yeah it's i mean um in contrast to a lot of typical understandings of addiction, you know, it's kind of like that it's some unexplainable phenomena or that like we just kind of really, really it is, you know, the use of technology to avoid something or to deal or cope with something, you know, if you wanted it in a, in a nutshell. And the something might be anxiety, stress, difficult situations, anything that's going on in life, you know, it, it can stem from like using your phone to look at 
pornography, you know, it's kind of like, and that becoming like a big thing, or even online gambling now, to do a lot of work in the gambling industry, you know, with all the operators, they've all got apps and so on. It's like, you can go further into it, not just the scrolling of the phone, regardless of the content, you know, like we, we were talking earlier about social media, Instagram, Facebook, you know, like mindless scrolling through the feed, not even actually seeing what's on it, just constantly scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, you know, all of it is just an avoidance of something, you know, a way of coping with a feeling, you know, a way of dealing with a situation and that becomes habitual, you know, that becomes like conditioned in the mind. It becomes like, a, oh, get this feeling, pick up this device, scroll this screen, you know, like it's kind of like, and it's almost like people wake up with a phone in their hand, you know, I, I could say it that way, because you'd probably understand what I meant, you know, it's kind of like, they're not really asleep, like physically asleep, but they're kind of so unconsciously doing it, you know, that it's kind of like, they come out, oh God, how did I end up like scrolling? How did I end up writing this post on Facebook? Because a minute ago, I was dealing with this difficult situation, and then I, I came round like halfway through a post on Facebook, you know, it's kind of like, that really happens for people, because they're so caught up in their own thinking, their own mind, their own conditioned escapism that it's happening almost unconsciously, you know? Absolutely. And I think that like, there's, there's even for many people, a degree of literalness with waking up with the phone in their hand, because, sure. you know, I know for, for myself and for a lot of my friends, the norm kind of became to use our cell phones as our alarm clocks. And it was like, first thing in the morning, as the alarm's going off, you reach, you grab your phone, it's in your hand. Mm. And before you know it, you're rolled back in bed, still in bed, and like scrolling through Instagram, half asleep, hoping that you don't buy something by passing out on your phone. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I really, really like that that metaphor of, of waking up with your phone in your hands, because it's it's so 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 true and both how we use it kind of that literal starting the day with the phone in the hand and the way that we aren't fully present when we are just going to our phone as a form of escape and so i'm curious if we can just kind of unpack for a little bit some of the some of the things we may be avoiding or maybe hiding from when we're engaging in these types of behaviors you know addiction is is complicated it has a lot of factors uh, and i'm just curious like for people who you've spoken to or you've you know worked with who do constantly go to their phone to the point that it's impeding their quality of life whether that's just scrolling or, or gambling or, or pornography I, i'm curious kind of like what you see as some of the main things that we do avoid when we engage in these behaviors yeah and, and here's where my work kind of differentiates with a lot of people, because what most people will focus on is the changing the external circumstances in order to make the phone use less. So it's like, okay, for example, <coughs> excuse me, you got a stressful job. How do you make your job less stressful? You got a difficult relationship. How do you put more into your relationship so you feel better, so you don't need to use the phone to escape from it? You know, it's like all the things that people are doing. Okay, you suffer with anxiety, social anxiety in social situations, so you get used to taking your phone out in a social situation to cope with the anxiety and just look like you've got friends or something when you feel like you haven't. All those things, you know, it's kind of like, 
So many approaches to this will really say, will agree with you. Yeah, addiction's complicated, you know, and it's like, and it's circumstantial and all these different trigger points are happening. Could be life, could be work, could be relationships, could be um, dating, could be any of those things, you know, but actually it's nothing to do with circumstances. Mm. You know, it's everything to do with thought, you know, it's everything to do with thought. It's created in the mind. It's actually a simple process that if you're overthinking if you're creating stress in your own mind then you're going to feel stress in your body you're going to feel anxiety in your body and then you're going to find a way to escape from it you know it's that simple process that's going on so the common denominator is thought regardless of the circumstance now you can go around making every area of your life perfect fix the dating fix the anxiety fix the depression fix the struggle at work fix the struggle at home with the relationship and the children and the boss that you don't like and the car that you don't like to drive because it always breaks and all the things that you think is wrong with your life get more money in the bank lose weight and all those in order to it but you can see that as what's not typical what is not typically seen in psychology is that we are creating our world, our life on the inside out. We project it from the mind outwardly. So there's the common denominator is thought. And most people think that they're living a life and they have to get all their ducks in a row, you know, and there's no ducks. The ducks are in your mind, you know, it's kind of like the ducks don't exist. So you don't have to go and fix all the circumstances. You just have to see that Life is not about going out and fixing all the things outside of yourself in order to feel better. It's what's going on within your own mind. You know, that's how it works. It's being projected outwardly rather than seen inwardly. You know, there, there's a lot that I want to unpack there. And, and I think for a, a really good starting point with, with some of the things that I, I want to chat through further, I'm curious, like, let's say that someone is really hearing themselves represented in this conversation mm. and they recognize that they have these kind of default autopilot behaviors as a, a form of comfort as a form of you know carrying around that security blanket but they're they're not quite sure if their behaviors would fall into the camp of addiction or if it's just a crutch that they use sometime you know, for someone in that position, should they, should they be seeking addiction help? Should they be framing it differently? You know, what, what should someone do when they're kind of on that cusp of like, I don't know if this behavior is necessarily addictive, but it's certainly a crutch. Yeah, it's so, there's so many uh, everyone's got their own unique reality you know there's no blanket answer to any of these things you know it's like but you know we all have our own wisdom you know we all have our own knowing of what's right and wrong you know and it's like we get lost in trying to get help and advice from people outside of ourselves which then takes us on different journeys you know trying to work out you know you can't work out the answer to that question you can't like go well I've had six hours today and I had four hours yesterday and that must mean A, B or C, you know, or something like that. But there's a sense within all of us that if we're doing something that doesn't feel right, you know, and that's where I would say for people to look, you know, it's kind of like to trust your own knowing, you know, it's like 
for the most part, people that don't have a problem with it don't wonder about it, you know? And it's kind of, and so if you're having to ask yourself the question, is this really a problem? It's usually because it is, you know? And it's kind of like, and that is an indicator of your own knowing, you know? It's kind of like, it's a, it's a sign of your own knowing that, okay, you know, like there's somewhere, there's something to look at here, you know, what's going on here, you know, it's kind of like, so I always look at those little nudges because they come in strange ways, you know, like those little nudges to looking to your own wisdom, you know, like life is always pointing us that way, you know, it's like we always know the right thing to do actually, but we've, some of us have just got so lost in our own thinking about life and about technology and about what's wrong and what's right and how to fix it and so on that it looks really complicated, but actually it's quite simple. That's, that's brilliant. And you know, as you were saying that one of the things that popped in my mind is like, if you are asking those questions, chances are you're asking them because you're noticing some sort of side effect or you're noticing that something in your life is not the way that you currently want it. And mm -hmm. outside of any, you know, clinical definitions of is this addiction, is this compulsion, is this habit, whatever, the fact remains that you want something to change in your life. And that's worth exploring. That's worth fleshing out. Yeah. And I guess to add to that a little bit is that like, you know, the usage of a device as a distraction or as a way of coping is the end of the chain. You know, it's not the, it's not the problem. It's the solution. You know, it's like, that is like, it is the solution to something bigger, you know, like, so many people are trying to suggest i mean there's so many there's apps you can get for it strangely enough you know and like for for coping with your own usage of a phone to limit it so on and stuff like that and there's many techniques that people give but like what we're saying is like that the usage of the phone is the symptom it's not the problem you know it's the symptom of something bigger and it's like trying to deal with something at the symptoms like putting a plaster on the bullet hole you know it's like you're not really going to resolve anything at that level because behavioral change is difficult and the reason it's difficult is because you know and this is why you know i saw beyond my own teachings in psychology you know it's kind of like that in behavioral change school of thinking you know in psychology it's kind of like behavioral change is difficult well why well it's kind of like well if you imagine you've got like a 30 carriage train, you know, it's like taking the rear carriage and trying to change direction of the engine. You know, it's just not going to work that way. It's much simpler to see the core, the root cause of everything, you know, the root cause of that suffering, which is our own thinking about something in life, which we're then using the phone to cope with. That's why it's the symptom and not the problem, you know? So it's always the wrong place to look. How do I control my behavior with a phone? How do I scroll less? How do I do less gambling on my phone or watch less pornography or whatever it is I'm doing on there? You know, or how do I like become more conscious of my use with a phone? Those are all a result of something, you know, they're not the problem, even though they look like the problem. And there's a big world out there that will tell you, yeah, that's the problem. And here's the way to fix it. You know? Absolutely. And it's, it's really interesting how we often assume that what we need to treat is the symptoms rather than the root cause. You know, if, if I have a fever, I can take acetaminophen and feel better, you know, for the span of maybe four hours. 
doesn't change the fact that I still have a virus or an infection or, or whatever that may be. Yeah. For someone who wants to start trying to address the problem, but they aren't quite sure how to figure out what the problem is, what would you recommend for that person? I mean, like, for me, I have conversations with people about their life. I mean, it's like, it's, it's really the human to human aspect of kind of like, what is, what do people believe about themselves? You know, what do people believe about themselves to be true? And what do people believe about their life to be true? You know, it's kind of like, are they a victim of something? Are they struggling, suffering with something? Are they in an unhappy relationship? What's their day to day like? You know, it's like just by having that conversation with someone, you can easily see where the areas of someone's life where they're having struggles, you know, and, and then there's not always like a, a direct connection. Hey, um, I'm really struggling with the, one of my parents is terminally ill or something like that, or I, I, I lost somebody close to me, a friend, or I lost my relationship, or I'm struggling seeing my children, I split up with my partner, whatever it is, you know, there's an endless list of circumstances in people's lives. You know, it's kind of like, there's not always a direct correlation between excessive use or avoidance in technology and certain circumstances. In fact, to most people, they don't even look connected. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, but just by having that conversation with someone, you'll, you'll find, so if someone's listening, who's like finding themselves using technology, you know, like, you know, just what's going on in your life, you know, speak to somebody, you know, and, and be honest with yourself is the first step, you know, it's kind of like, because we're innately born with a sense of joy and contentment and happiness. And what we learn here in our human experience takes us away from that. So it's not like we're born unhappy and we need to find a way to be happy, which is often the misunderstanding that's going on. It's actually like when we stop making ourselves unhappy, we're just innately happy. We're innately content. We have peace of mind. We have joy. You know, it's there for everyone at all times. And all we do is take ourselves away from it with our own expectations or, or beliefs about circumstances in life you know that that makes a lot of sense and you know I've I didn't exercise in my own in my own life like six months or so ago but I was mm-hmm. noticing that during my work day I was spending as much time either like watching YouTube videos or, or just scrolling through Twitter. And actually it was around the time of the election in the US. So mm-hmm. even scrolling Twitter was navigating a mind a minefield. I started to say minefield, which feels very appropriate for Twitter during an election. But you know, it it was a situation where I found myself just scrolling and scrolling and feeling more stressed the more that I scrolled and even after I recognized that I would still default to scrolling and so I did an exercise with myself where I kept uh, a notepad by my desk and every time I just opened a new tab and went to Twitter without really thinking about it or clicked on a YouTube video without really thinking about it I made a note to myself like what was I doing before this what what would what was my action mm-hmm. and then what finally made me stop that action and so i ended up with this this stack of pages that was like 
stressed about a complex code issue, went to Twitter, stopped because this tweet by this congressman made me furious. And it was a cycle that repeated over and over again. And as I reflected on that and journaled on it, one of the things that I realized was, oh, I'm not scrolling Twitter because I want to keep up with the election or, or because this is benefiting me in any way. I'm scrolling Twitter because I'm super frustrated with my career and I feel like I'm going nowhere and I'm burnt out. And so when I'm facing these complex challenges, I don't feel like putting in the energy. I don't have a, a sense of urgency, a drive to do anything about it. Yeah. And, and for me, getting that awareness was huge. So, so helpful. So it then gave me, you know, information that I could go to conversations with my manager and say like, hey, I, I need to change something. I need to, you know, try this challenge. I want to put some energy here and break up that, that sense of feeling stuck and feeling trapped and kind of open new pathways where Twitter wasn't the default as soon as I've encountered stress. Yeah, that's a beautiful example of kind of like seeing beyond, you know, the end of the carriage, you know, the end carriage. It's like looking beyond the symptom, you know, which is the symptom is Twitter, phone usage technology. But it's like having that conversation with somebody talking about your life, seeing, you know, do you feel satisfied, fulfilled? Are there areas of your life that you're unhappy with? You know, it's kind of like, because there's not always a direct correlation, you know, but I guess I, I guess you made me realize that I take for granted how easily I spot people's areas of unhappiness. You know, it's kind of like just by having a conversation with them. And I kind of forgot that it wasn't always like that. But for some people, it's not so clear. And that's what your question made me reflect on. You know, it's kind of like that. There's not always a direct correlation. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, my life's kind of happy. You go, oh, okay, then, you know, it's kind of like, let's have a conversation. Are you open to a conversation about that? And then we start talking about all sorts of things. And then it comes out, well, actually, you know, I'm not really happy with this. And I'm not really happy with that. And these, this isn't, you know, this is okay, but I prefer it to be different, you know, and it can be as subtle as that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be like devastations happened. Like I said before, like I've lost someone, I split with my relationship, or I can't see my children or I'm massively overweight and I can't lose weight, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be like that. It can be very subtle as well, you know, and like we just you know, have subtle feelings that we don't like, that are not comfortable, that we want to find distraction or avoidance of, you know? Abs absolutely. And I, I really, really, really like your approach, just like having a, having a conversation about life as a way of starting to unpack that. Because, you know, for me, it was having that post-it note and consciously making an effort to know what was I doing, what made me stop, that got me thinking, oh, okay, it's not that I, you know, have to be on Twitter. It's this other thing that I need to, to work through and unpack. But I think that like, for folks, especially if they're new to, you know, mindfulness, which is such a buzzword that gets thrown around in so many ways, but, you know, if they're new to mindfulness or if they don't really have experience doing this type of like critical self-reflection, just sitting down with someone and having a conversation is incredibly powerful. Yeah. And that's where my work changed from being 
the therapist, you know, like many years ago to finding out what's wrong and how to fix it to really just being a conversation, a reflective conversation, what I call a transformative conversation, you know, where we get to talk about life and, and have reflections, you know, on what's going on and kind of how we would like it to be and what's, what we're not happy with. And like, I think one thing, you know, as we've been talking, I think one thing to, to put in here is the fundamental thing is every person wants to experience peace of mind, joy, contentment, connection, you know, every person wants that, you know, it's like that, it's that simple, you know, it's kind of like everyone wants that. And many people are searching for it in different ways because they think it comes in different forms, you know, and by different forms, I mean, finances, weight loss, relationships, status, goals, you know, business achievements, creation, family building, you know, it's like whatever it is, you know, that you've somehow been conditioned to believe, you know, that joy, contentment, happiness and peace of mind is available at some other place than here. You know, that's what most people believe. This is why this is the fundamental thing going on for all people, regardless of all the stuff we've talked about. It's that like, and now somewhere, somehow, every person is lost in their misunderstanding that joy, contentment, peace of mind is available right now to everyone at all times. It's like, but most people kind of have got this idea that if I could only... If I could only, is usually the starting words, you know, or if I could just, if I could just get more money, get a better relationship, lose weight, fix this problem, do that, have more of this, get a better job, you know, the list of endless things, only then will I be happy, right? And that isn't possibly true for anyone. You know, that doesn't work. It's like you get a, a temporary moment of Joy, if you pick up a brand new car at the showroom for six figures, it feels great when you drive it a couple of times. It's kind of like, but then you're, you're back with yourself because happiness is and joy and contentment is an inward journey. It's not out there. It's not in all those things. It's not in any of those things. It can't be achieved or attained from outside of yourself. It's not possible. So when you, when you look inwardly and you see that all those things that you think you're searching for, you know, to get happiness, actually happiness is within when you look inwardly you see that and it's like then regardless of circumstances you can have everything you want you know in life and that's that's all people want it's just disguised in many ways you know and talked about in different theories and different ways and different change modalities and different understandings but actually when you said it's complicated it doesn't look complicated to me it looks simple you know it really is that simple i door that i that that i think is very poignant and it very kind of succinctly encapsulates this sense of struggle <laughs> that a lot of people feel with you know their devices or with their habits getting in their way of building their ideal life which is something we talk about all the time on the podcast is, is building your ideal life and i think that this process that you're describing of turning inward and understanding that when you're searching for that sense of contentment, you're not going to find it through something external you build. Yeah. It's going to be about the ecosystem within yeah. and the work that you're doing there. So and that simplifies my life because that's the same conversation I have with every person, regardless of whether 
they've got what looks like a complicated problem or you know some different type of addiction or more severe addiction it's still the same misunderstanding you know it's the same misunderstanding that's going on it's why my podcast is called misunderstandings of the mind you know it's kind of like because there's there's so many different areas that look like an individual misunderstanding but actually they're all the same misunderstanding they're all the same misunderstanding of that you know, if somehow I could get all this stuff on the outside of myself, okay, then I would be okay on the inside. Then my internal experience would change. My sense of who I was would get better. My my experience of joy and contentment would be better. I'd be more confident. I'd feel better. I'd have more self-esteem. All the things that we tell ourselves, you know, which aren't possibly true. You can't get any of those things outside of yourself. They don't exist. They're not a thing to get. Exactly. If if they were a thing to get, if you could walk down the aisle at Aldi and buy that <laughs> sense of inner contentment, we all would. But unfortunately, or I guess fortunately, no companies have been able to peddle that to us as a product yet. Well, Jason, this has been absolutely fantastic. We're, we're coming up on time for the usual length of one of these podcast episodes. So I'm just curious to kind of wrap things up if someone wanted to learn more about this topic or about you where can they find you what should they be looking for yeah i mean the podcast misunderstandings of the mind.com it's on itunes it's on spotify and what we do is we cover with different people everyone does something different we cover different areas of what look like different areas of misunderstanding in people's lives. So it could be leadership, anxiety, connection, relationships, love, depression, self-esteem, personal development. You know, I've, I've, I think there's about 35 episodes now. Freedom, there's so much stuff on there. And it's really just like this. It's like two people having a conversation. And that's connected to my website. If anyone wants to find me, they can find me there. But like some of that stuff might stand out to you as interesting. You know, anything on there might stand out to you as interesting. And any, anywhere is a good place to start, you know. There's one episode called The Big Misunderstanding by Dr. George Pransky that's on there. And that's just such a cool place to, to start because it really just talks about that fundamental misunderstanding that I just highlighted that's true for, for most of humanity, you know. Fantastic. And like I mentioned, all of these links will be in the show notes for this episode. So you can find Jason, find his podcast. It'll all be there linked in these notes. Yeah. All right, Jason, any final thoughts, anything that we didn't cover today that you want to throw out to our listeners before we call it a day? No. And and I guess one last thing actually quickly is that like, there's a place in us that knows the truth. You know, like there's something in us that when we hear something that sounds true, we might not be able to make intellectual sense of it. You know, it doesn't necessarily fit with all the trending understandings or everything that you hear in society, but we always recognize it. We always know, you know, and that's what I always say to people, you know, follow that. That's what I, that's what I had when I watched that video. You know, there was something in me that knew that there was something true. And if, if anyone's struggling, because my love is to help people struggling, you know, like follow that instinct, you know, follow that knowing of something, something to, something to follow, you know. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jason. This has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. And I'm sure that our listeners will as well. Cool. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
And that is it. You are armed with some new info, so go out there and conquer. The ball is in your court, and we're here to cheer you on. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and tag us on social media at self-improvement. While you're at it, check out our guests at the link in the show notes. You can find more great content like this over at selfimprovement.com. That's www.selfimprovement.com. If you're interested in being a guest on our podcast or want to share some feedback, you can also contact us through our website. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be chatting with you again real soon.